Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the The Be With podcast, a podcast about the art and practice of care with me, your host, Barbara Roshana. Hello, everyone. Happy Monday or Tuesday morning if you're watching this tomorrow. Um, I'm absolutely thrilled that you are watching this or catching the replay because today is a pretty big deal. And actually, this week is a pretty big deal in my world. And uh, so therefore, I wanted to invite you in and share this week with you. This week is a big deal because I am launching not one, but two different things. One, I actually already launched yesterday. And the second, I am launching this Thursday. So this week, I am launching in my like kind of business life, the Be With Initiation, which is an online training program in the practice and art of holding space, both for yourself and for other people, um, which is something that I've been at work on for probably about a year and a half. So it is a long time in coming. And I am so, so excited about launching this program and kind of also the way that I've chosen to launch this offering, which is part of the story and part of why I'm here to share with you. So the way that this week is going to work and the way that this launch is going to work is that I am going to be getting on live every day, or I guess Monday to Friday this week, to tell you a story. Um, and Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday, I'm going to be sharing stories with you about some of the gifts that I've received from the practice of holding space, whether that is space that's been held for me by practitioners like therapists or healers or friends, moments of me holding space for myself or moments of me holding space for clients. I feel like there are so many gifts of space holding. And so I wanted to share really personal, real stories with you about what some of those gifts are and why I believe holding space is something that we wanna be investing our energy in learning how to do, especially at this time when the world is so, so hungry and aching for it. And we are aching for it. We're aching for a safe space to land and be and get present to our own wisdom and our own guidance and also to to you know be seen and validated in what we're actually experiencing and what we're learning now if you're catching this video and you're like oh i want to hear about this but i don't have time to sit down and watch it right now don't worry believe it or not but there's like a mic actually right here let me show it to you and it is recording this live and i'm actually going to record all the lives i'm doing this week and post them as little mini episodes of the be with podcast so if you're not subscribed to the be with podcast yet get your butt on over to itunes and subscribe and that way you will be able to listen to these mini sodes every night this week or later in the future when you want to uh, and hear these stories i'm going to try and keep these conversations fairly short maybe like 15 to 20 minutes um at least for Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday. But on Thursday is when I'm gonna be doing the big reveal of the initiation, telling you all about what it is, sharing with you kind of not only the process of how the program came to be, how I received it, um, you know, the ways that I fought against bringing it into the world, as some of us sometimes do when we have a big, awesome thing to offer the world, like the brain chemistry jumps in is like, who are you to do this? You don't know anything about this, da, 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 right? Like, so all of us have that brain chemistry. So on Thursday, I'm going to tell you a little bit on the podcast about how I've been working my way through that and how I've been learning to surrender to my creative process and just get present and real to it. Um, and then also I'm going to share the details of the program. So basically I'm going to like take you into the heart of it so that if you want to receive that through 
listening to it, that'd be great. Hi, Asha. Nice to see you here. Asha is actually one of our ex guest experts on the program, which is so, so exciting. She's going to be talking about appropriation and how we can build spiritual practices that are non-appropriative, but still support us, which I'm so excited about. And you'll hear all about it later on. So yeah, but for today, let's start with today's storytelling. Um, but before I do space holding, what do I mean by space holding? So when I'm talking about space holding, I'm really talking about what it means to be able to be present either with ourselves or with another in a fully non-judgmental way. So literally, it's holding a safe, deeply compassionate space where we are with someone in the midst of their experience without trying to fix it. When we are with ourselves in the midst of our experience without trying to fix it. This is why the name of my practice is Be With. Because I believe one of the most powerful things we can do is really be fully present with ourselves. Be fully present with another. Which in my spiritual belief is literally the act of being present with God. When we are present with our life force. When we are present with the life force of another. We are fully present with God. We are fully present with life force. We are fully present with the universe. And if at that moment we don't try and fix the experience that that person or ourselves is having, that's when we are holding space. We are holding sacred space in that moment. Um, and it's a deeply faithful, deeply trusting way of being with ourselves or with another because we are trusting that there's nothing there to be fixed, that we just get to be here. And that in and amidst that, a creative, loving, all-powerful force is present and is in action and is bringing all things towards healing and restoration, which is something that I believe. So that's a little bit about what I mean when I say holding space. So let's get into some storytelling mode. Um, so today I'm going to tell you a story about meaning making a fundamentalist organization I used to work for called Campus Crusade for Christ, a positive space poster in a Planned Parenthood, Ariana Grande's hit song, Thank You, Next, and Freedom. That's kind of our outline for today's storytelling. Over the week, we're going to have a very interesting journey together. That's the paper you can hear flipping. Um, this week, we're going to talk about my queerness. We're going to talk about our fear of suffering. We're going to talk with my friend Ellen. Um, we'll chat about what it means to reclaim a loving universe, how to learn how to say it's not my fault, how to deal with ancestral trauma or one way of working with it, and how we can heal our world. You know, we're just going to tackle some small things this week. Three storytelling, because why not? Okay, so today's story. Today's story is really built around the premise that we are the ones that get to make meaning of our lives and of our experiences. And if we understand that we are the ones that get to make meaning of our lives and of our experiences, then we also then are able to tap into the power of the fact that we are the ones that get to tell kinder, more gentler stories, and we get to make kinder, more gentle meaning of the things that we've experienced, whether they've been easy or difficult to experience. And that in that, we get to use our stories, our life experiences as a place to reclaim our innate goodness and our absolute worthiness. And the fact that we are we are good. We are good to start with and that everything else gets kind of piled on top of it. So the reason that I'm telling the story now is because exactly 10 years ago, right around now, I was in the very intense process of coming out. And coming out not just as a gay woman, but coming out as a gay woman in a relationship while still also being 
Christian and like very evangelical. So up until the summer of 2008, I was working with a organization called Campus Crusade for Christ. And I was with them as like a volunteer student. And in the summertime, I decided to take a contract out with them in British Columbia, which is a province on the other side of Canada from where I am. And I knew I was already gay, but the term that was used within my particular sect of evangelical Christianity was that I was same-sex attracted. That I, like, I experienced same-sex attraction. We didn't really use the term gay, which is super homophobic, but it is what is part of that culture. Um, homophobia is a very accepted and celebrated, I would actually say, part of that culture. Um, and so in that kind of in that process of coming to terms with my sexuality while also being someone who is in leadership within this, you know, super religious organization, I found that this summer that I spent far away from home and working for the super fundamentalist organization actually turned out to be the one summer where I gave myself freedom to really ask do I believe these things about God that are being taught to me that God you know, believes that I'm a sinner, that God hates my sexuality, that God did not create me the way that I experience myself, that my gay sexuality is a result of some sort of brokenness or, you know, some sort of misfiring or that maybe it is how God created me, but God gave me a cross to bear and this is what it is. You know, so like there's, there's so many toxic narratives that were given to me as a young person who experienced same-sex attraction as a young gay person within the church and this summer because I was away from home because I was away from my friends even though I was like in this organizational structure day in day out as my day job because I had these free evenings fully to myself it was like my one opportunity that I got to really take the time to decide was this true for myself and because I was also at the same time falling in love with a woman um at that time you know I, and we were falling in love, like kind of across the country. So we we're having like all these really long phone conversations that were like so involved for many hours at a time. By the time that I was ready to move back home in September, I decided that I was going to start living my life as a gay woman. So start dating this other person that I was in love with and move forward with my life in this way, believing that like, actually, I believe that God accepts me just the way that I am. And I don't think God made a mistake when God made me. I just think this is how I am. And so I'm going to live my life and celebrate it. And so as I came back into the city with this belief, I shared it kind of like with one of my bosses. And he said, well, you know, Barbara, I mean, and I, when I shared this belief with him, I said, you know, I, I recognize this means I'm going to have to withdraw myself from like the student leadership team. I was entering into fourth year university. So by that point, like I was kind of like in leadership over the organization. I said, I know this means I'm going to have to withdraw my leadership. And he said, well, you know, I appreciate that you are because if you didn't, we'd have to basically like take the leadership away from you. So I appreciate that you recognize the choice that you're making. And so within a period of months, I mean, within a period of weeks, but over months, I lost access to leadership within this volunteer community that was basically my entire friendship circle. Um, I lost all leadership capacity that I had in my church. My pastor, you know, when I came out to him, he like locked the door in his pastoral office and he said, Barbara, my sister's gay. I love her and accept her and I totally love you and accept you and I understand that you're gay and I think that God probably even blesses this, but we can't give, you know, we can't freak out the congregation, so we're going to have to remove all leadership from you. So he said, basically, I believe one thing and I think God 
believes that too, or God is that way too, I guess. That's such a weird thing that we do. Um, but, you know, we're going to strip you of your leadership so it doesn't look bad to the community. So I, I literally lost like all of my closest friends. I lost all meaningful ways of contributing to others in my life. I lost my opportunities for service. Um, and it was a very, very difficult process. It was a really difficult time in my life. Um, the following year, I chose to kind of like move into a more liberal denomination of Christianity and pursue my master's divinity, which I'd been planning to do to become a pastor in that more liberal denomination. Um, but as I pursued that degree and worked in several different churches for the next four years, I found myself continually feeling more and more depressed, more and more withdrawn, more and more sad, more and more like I just couldn't seem to feel like I could reconcile this world of the church that said, you know, and by this point I was like in a liberal enough church and organization, the Anglican church at that point, that said, well, we affirm who you are and we think it's okay locally in our church, but also nationally the church hasn't come around so we can't marry you to your fiance. And so literally like I was working in this organization that once again said like, you're kind of okay as you are, but not really. Um, and so I found myself just like continually running up against this wall of homophobia, you know, and knowing also that this organization meant that would include a lot of transphobia as well. And feeling like I could not find a way to be part of this organization and really be happy. And so I chose to make my exit and leave the church. Um, and at that point, I happily stumbled across uh, some programming at Plant Parenthood Toronto. P Plant Parenthood is an amazing organization. They're, you know, in the U.S. and in Canada. And my particular Plant Parenthood location had really great mental health services focusing on queer and trans youth. And I will never forget the first time that I came in for a meeting at PPT, I sat down and I noticed that there was like one queer and trans friendly poster. There was another positive space poster. There was like a massive rainbow flag. There was like some rainbow streamers. Literally, basically the room was like one big rainbow flag that said, you are welcomed, you are loved, and you are celebrated. And I remember this deep sense of everything in my body just being like, <sighs> okay. Okay, maybe I can trust my process of healing here. Maybe I can let myself rest. Maybe I can let myself become. And so I began working with a therapist who I then worked for with for the next three years on and off. Her name's Katerina and she's one of my greatest mentors. She is the reason that I have the practice I have today and my, you know, she's got like my eternal gratitude. And we worked together over the next three years to begin to kind of untangle these, these different narratives that I had of seeing myself as lesser and seeing my queerness as the problem and the reason for why I lost my community and why I really lost my faith. And we began untangling this work and basically taking the, the job of meaning making away from the church, away from people who had judged me away from those who had been an authority over me away from even culture at large and we put the power to do meaning making back into my own hands which was extremely powerful and the base that we did that meaning making on was I am good 
That was the premise. The premise was, let's start at the idea that you are good and work your way up from there. Let's start at the idea that your queerness is good and work your way up from there. And so we began with this foundation, this foundation of I am good, which I do believe is the foundation of really good space holding. If we want to learn how to hold space for another or for ourselves, we must begin with the very extremely, totally, completely, wildly radical notion that we are good. That is not a notion that is supported in our world. I don't care how much people feel like, you know, there is like so much like every child gets a gold star bullshit out there. You have, you can look at like one commercial and know that that is not what we're taught. We are not taught that we are good. We are taught that we are in need of fixing on every single level. And so to begin with the notion that we are good is absolutely transformative. Absolutely, completely transformative. And so we began with that notion and spent the next several years kind of pulling pulling apart and looking into the heart of my grief. Knowing that even my grief over losing these homophobic friends, these homophobic communities was good. Even my grief was good. And this, I think this was one of the most transformative things about this process of having space held for me. In other situations that I went to, it felt like I was constantly being told, like, you know, especially queer situations that, like, in queer settings that, like, oh, Barbara, well, your grief, your grief is just, like, unfounded or your grief is all that matters. Like, my grief was either put into one of these two categories, you know, and, like, either your grief doesn't matter because good riddance, good thing, you've lost that, that homophobic community or your grief and rage is all we're going to stay attached to and let's not even let's not even think about anything other than how wrong that organization was and how homophobic that organization was and how much we need to stand in opposition to them no matter which way we look at it whether we kind of say well Barbara you don't get to grieve or you don't even waste your time grieving because you got rid of a problematic organization that's a rejection of me because that's a rejection of my grief, which is good. The like, well, just grief and rage because they're idiots and they're homophobes also is a rejection of me because it's taking away the focus on me and it's putting it towards the organization. And it's saying, let's just focus all of our energy at being angry, at being furious. And neither of those is about staying here and saying, I am good. And as the person who survived, you know, exclusion, homophobia, manipulation, being fired, like all of those social isolation, as a a person who survived all of those things in that process of being shut out from leadership, being shut out from the church, losing my community, the main thing for me to reclaim there and to learn to do there was actually to turn my, my vision from looking outwards to looking inwards and saying, I am good. I am here. This is safe. And so as I began with her, the process of turning my attention away from others, from those other things and inward to my own goodness and my own care, I began a healing process. I began a really important healing process. And I think this is what we forget sometimes is that the healing needs to start here before we can work with any of the external factors. It at least needs to begin here. And so this is actually where Ariana Grande's Thank You Next song comes in. If you've not heard this song, 
I strongly recommend you look it up. I've pulled up the lyrics for us to look at. So Ariana Grande, in like one of her interviews, tells the press that this was one of her favorite songs to have ever written. It's called Thank You Next. Because she said, you know, this is like, this song is a very true you know, explanation or I guess example of like how I write best and who I truly am as an artist. Cause it's me and a bunch of my, like it's based on me and a bunch of my girlfriends having a conversation after a bad breakup that I went through. And kind of the first stunt stanza, you know, begins with thought I'd end up with Sean, but he wasn't a match, wrote some songs about Ricky. Now I listen and laugh, even almost got married. And for Pete, I'm so thankful. Wish I could say thank you to Malcolm cause he was an angel. One taught me love, one taught me patience, and one taught me pain. Now I'm so amazing. I've loved and I've lost, but that's not what I see. Look what I got. Look what you taught me. And for that, I say thank you. Next. Thank you. Next. Um, I'm so fucking grateful for my ex. Okay, now here's where things get really good. Second stanza. Spend more time with my friends. I am worried about nothing. Plus, I met someone else. We having better discussions. I know they say I move on too fast, but this one's gonna last because her name is Ari and I'm so good with that. So she's saying, like, I met someone else. It's me. And I'm so good with that. I'm so good with the fact that I met someone amazing and it's me. And what I love about that song and I love about that kind of like process is like first she's saying like yeah you know like thank you to this ex and thank you to this ex and thank you to this ex but really like let's get down to business here who is it about it's about my relationship with me and i remember a very clear moment in my therapeutic pro process where my therapist said barbara you know could we consider looking at your queerness as the gift that actually set you free from that community and your queerness as the very superpower that is allowing you to move forward in a self-respectful way. That actually your queerness is the reason you're able to have this loving relationship with yourself because otherwise you would have never had to fight for yourself. Because in my lineage of women, like of the women who came before me, especially in my mother's line, but also on my father's line too, the women in my family don't really, really love themselves. They're always constantly working their asses off to prove their worth through looks and accomplishment and work and whatever else. And that's not really what love is. Love is being able to be with someone without having to have them produce something for us. And to be able to be with myself without having to have me produce something for me is how I know that I love myself. And what gave me that gift is my queerness because my queerness didn't produce belonging. My queerness didn't produce leadership. You know, my queerness is just part of who I am. And the gift that my queerness has given me is that it gave me the opportunity to learn to fight for myself and that is the gift of my queerness. That is the gift of my good, good of my goodness. And so I think that's kind of a really crucial part of space holding that I think most of our practices of taking care of ourselves or taking care of other people, whether we're talking about our own self-care or professional care of another, that I think we're missing out on. We're missing out on 
are like the 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 divine work that is present in healing that self-worth and self-identity when we're able to be with someone else without trying to make meaning of their experience for them without trying to fix their experience but being able to sit with them and say does the meaning that you have made of this so far does that serve you and is that grounded on your goodness and your worthiness and if it's not how can we support you whether we're asking someone else or we're asking ourselves, how can I support myself? That's what it would sound like with just you. How can I support myself to make meaning in a way where I'm rooted in my worthiness and my goodness? Because that's what we need more than anything. And that is true for social justice just as well. You know, like when we are trying to be better allies or live in better solidarity, we cannot be in better solidarity with others when we are not able to be with ourselves and believe that we are good and that we have the capacity to be, to continue to be good and therefore be more empathetic, therefore show up for justice, therefore be with other people. Yeah, so that's my story. That's my story about holding space and reclaiming goodness and reclaiming, for me, reclaiming the goodness of who I am, reclaiming the goodness of my queerness, and reclaiming those years of my life where now I look back on it, I don't think that the social isolation I experienced or the verbal you know, abuse I experienced at that point was a gift. But what I know is a gift is my queerness and the way that I chose up to show up for my queerness and I chose that summer to come out and stand for, and stand for the fact that I believe that I am created good and that I am good and that my living into love in this world can only be good and that's one of the main gifts or that's the gift I want to begin with today so yeah tomorrow we are going to look at a different gift we're going to look at the gift of being fearless and being with suffering our own suffering the suffering of others tomorrow we're going to explore what it means to not be afraid to sit with our own suffering and the suffering of others um, and how that can support us. And I'm going to tell you a story about my friend Ellen. I'm going to tell you a story about learning to be the student of presence. And I'm going to tell you about how once upon a time I took a job where I had to live with a bunch of other people 24-7. And that was part of my work in the world. So yeah. So till tomorrow's mini-sode, thank you so much for listening. Thursday, all the big news is going to drop around the initiation. You're going to get to hear all the details. I cannot wait to reveal that to you. Um, yeah. And as a fun aside, if you're listening to this and you're in Toronto, actually 10 years since coming out uh, in the church and going through that experience that I just told you about, I'm going to be hosting my first holiday service this Christmas. Um, I guess my first service in a very, very long time, but also my first service as an interfaith minister in training, which is so exciting. So if you're in Toronto and you want to come join us this December, I would love to have you. We're having a very solstice Christmas on December 23rd. Just slide into my DMs or email me at contact at bewith.org to get the information. Uh, yeah, that's about it. And I'll see you all tomorrow for our next Gifts of Space Holding Live. Bye.